0: Hey, welcome to the 212th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons
1: Brent Koble, Ben Donovan, and Arik Hess. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Unlo. Today we are continuing our quarantine chat series with some very cool directors. If you missed yesterday's episode, go check that one out now. But we're going to be catching up with um, four more of our favorite past guests who are all in various situations and degrees of production or development. And so we get to kind of uh, hear what they're all thinking and feeling
0: and living. Before we get into the directors we interviewed, we got some voicemails from listeners as well, telling us about what they've been up to during this pandemic. It's a wide array, and we wanted to share one of them from listener Glenn Montgomery with you all.
2: Hey, guys. My name is Glenn Montgomery. I'm a editor who loves your show very much and I just get so much out of it. So thanks for putting it together. My story of how the virus is affecting life, I live in Los Angeles, but two weeks ago, my wife and I decided that we were going to go back to her family farm in Minnesota to wait out this thing. And since all the work has gone remote anyways, it uh, seemed like a good place to have her kids so that they can run around on a farm instead of our two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. I walked out in that I went into this virus period with a feature film that I'm editing and it should keep me busy for a couple months since pretty much all the ad work has dried up. I take care of the kids all day while my wife works, and then whatever hours left, um, I try and get some progress done on the film. And then on the weekends, it's my work-all-day days, which is one of those. It's Sunday. I'm sitting in a snowstorm in my car because the farm is so remote that it can't get good Internet service, and we can only stream one show at a time with the home internet so most of my zoom calls or small file uploads take place using my phone as a hotspot but i have to prep all these huge files to send to other departments for the film so every couple of days i have to drive into town which is about three miles away and park next to the internet provider where they have a high speed drive up wi-fi which is actually faster than the internet i had back in la um and i sit in my car and upload 50 to 100 gigs of footage or audio files. Today it's mix prep for the first reel, and get to listen to the podcast. So it's kind of become my little therapeutic time away from the family and a chance to actually catch up on the pod again. It's surreal, but kind of fun in a weird way. Hope you guys are doing great. Thanks for all you do.
1: Hey, thanks for that voicemail, Glenn. It's nice to know that uh, we're keeping you company in the cold. Yeah, I think we can all relate to bad internet connections nowadays, right? (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Also, listeners who are curious about what that whole situation looks like, Glenn actually sent us a video of him uploading where he is in his car and everything, and it is very different from what our lives are like right now. So we'll have that up at JustShootPod.com if you want to check it out. But I think it does just remind you that people's experiences of this quarantine are are varied and different. And I think that as filmmakers, I think that's worthwhile to remember. For sure. So our next guest is Sarah Adina Smith. She directed
0: the pilots for Hannah on Amazon and Looking for Alaska on Hulu. And she was actually helming her first studio feature in Budapest when she had to be evacuated from the country under cover of night. She tells us about the possible ways forward to finish her film. And she shares her existential thoughts about what this pandemic means for our business and our world.
3: I put deodorant on for this.
1: Whoa.
0: Even
3: though you guys can't smell me because I'm like sweating a little. Well
1: done. Sarah, you have a very specific story. You were shooting overseas, right? Yeah. So give us the lowdown on how you got here and how you're feeling now.
3: Yeah. We were five weeks into a six week shoot in Budapest on a film I wrote and was directing called Birds of Paradise. And... We were right at that moment or just actually past that moment in in any film shoot where things are just coming together, it's the like casting crew good. working yep. so well together yep. and actually everyone's having fun and we're just like in the sweet spot. He'd also, like, as I like to do, you put some hard stuff up front to have some wins and victories up front, but then really save some of the most emotionally poignant, important scenes for the end when you know you're going to have this well-oiled machine. And so we were coming up on our last week of shooting, which was all the really fucking important the heart. stuff. <laughs> yeah, the heart. that the heart that I had been prepping for since November, really, but then also had been gunning towards, like this whole project came about really fast and I had been kind of sprinting full time since July on it. And we were so near the finish line in the end, it started off as whispers of like, coronavirus, ha ha ha, swine flu, everyone's freaking out, this will go away, blah, blah, blah. We were also gearing up to just the most challenging section and we were about to shoot. There was three days of shooting with like 400 people coming up. So it was this huge, like,
0: like background.
3: Yeah, it was probably like, yeah, it was like a big casting crew, like three camera crews. Is this and a studio two, film? This is my, this is my first studio film. Yeah. What studio? It's with Amazon.
0: Oh, cool. And it's a feature yeah, that you feature wrote, that wrote. And for somehow, them or you already had I
3: have a first look deal over there for TV, but decided to bring this film to them first too, just because I thought it would be a good fit. And yeah, somehow like bamboozled them into making this, I I shouldn't say bamboozled because it has a lot of commercial pulp and drama to it that's like really hooky and fun, but it is really at its heart an art film. So somehow I I was in this really amazing spot where I had studio support for Mm -hmm. a pretty artistic- Driven project. So I was just flying high, living the dream, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is really why, honestly, as hard as it was to walk away from that, and by walk away, I mean like leave under cover of night in a flurry. And it was just like a really, the way it all went down was kind of insane and crazy. As crazy as that all was, I do still like know how incredibly lucky and privileged I was to get to go make this film in the first place. And like, Mm -hmm. boo-hoo, my situation is I can't finish my art project, you know? Like, there's just so many other important things.
1: There's the caveat with this entire conversation and every conversation we have on this show that there are more important life-or-death situations going on, but the lens of being a filmmaker and being a storyteller and working so hard to make those things happen and come true you know, is something that everyone listening understands, right? Like, like no one listening is like, Oh, boo hoo, Sarah, you didn't get to finish your movie. They're like, no, you like, we know how hard it is, you know? And so with the umbrella of a giant mega corporation, have they been communicative about what next steps look like under different scenarios?
3: We've been doing a lot of getting on conference calls and speculating and trying to plan sort mm-hmm. of different scenarios. But I think if and when, and really I should say when, production opens up again, it's going to look so much different than it has for a very long time. And with with this film, what's really really challenging for me right now is that something that was so pivotal to this story and is interlaced in every fiber of this story were these scenes we were just about to shoot that had so many people and that the required such shoots. a big team yeah. and was such, so i'm taking a big step back to be like whoa it's like this crazy jigsaw puzzle is there any other way to solve this puzzle with a rewrite or some other approach to this story so they can use this moment and this pause to maybe dig deeper maybe find a different level to the story but then also design a way of shooting that's going to be conducive to the mm-hmm. obstacles that will yeah. the circumstances the yeah. obstacles and i've been trying to like be patient with myself about that because the other thing is it's not like i have a hard drive of footage here that i can start editing with it's a union show which is really tough for me
0: wait you're not allowed to even have the footage
3: Guys, that's like a longer conversation that is so frustrating to me. I I watch it on like Pix, which is like a secure platform or whatever. But as the director who's used to editing, it's really hard. And I'm so used to being able to think um, sort of more right brained about things by just like being in the flow of an edit and solving problems that way, as you guys know. Versus now I really have to think on paper and be quite analytical about it, which is Mm -hmm. It's a harder way to solve creative problems, really.
1: There's so many things where you would normally move two shots into a different spot.
3: Yeah, try it out. See what happens. And then realize, maybe have a discovery.
1: Yeah, and that just becomes 15 emails instead.
3: Exactly. exactly.
1: Or you ask someone to do
0: it, and they try it, but they didn't quite do it right. And they're like, nah, it doesn't work. And you're like, well, it doesn't work because... The cut is wrong.
3: <laughs> exactly. And because it's a studio film, I have a 10-week director's cut. And so I was really faced with the choice of, do I use this 10 weeks now? Or do I wait until I have a complete film in the can? Because I want to make sure that when I turn in my director's cut, I'm turning in the very best version of that mm-hmm. movie. And there's going to be significant gaps, really, mm-hmm. if I were to take the 10 weeks now and turn something in. So, yeah.
0: Is it a period piece, like action Film. And
3: that's not a period piece, but it, it exists in like its own really kind of specific, beautiful little bubble. It's a movie set within the world of Paris Ballet at this ballet school. Mm-hmm. But it's really a story about ambition and it's sort of this coming of age story that's really more of a test of these two souls. Cool. Yeah, I think that at this moment, at the moment you guys have caught me in, like yesterday, I was still all, all sort of in the brain space of I should just try and think of something else, you know, mm-hmm. and really like trying to dig deep into that. And then today, I'm just kind of feeling like there is maybe no way to finish this particular movie. Except to finish the movie, like, except to just
1: do it the way you'd planned. Yeah, it, to,
3: it would break it. So then I think now I'm sort of starting to go more into well, how do I creatively plan and execute something given the fact that we're gonna have a super stripped down crew and that I can't have that many extras. And so it, it just is gonna become like a lot of VFX shots,
0: like crowd replication.
3: Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's competing in my brain is that I do have other projects that I could probably be more productive by working on during this time. And right. if I get too lost and obsessing about how to finish this film, it might not even be that useful because the world may change in the next day and in two weeks. Would I be wasting my time by putting too much energy right now into coming up with what that game plan might be when it just might look totally different um, yeah. a month from now?
0: That's something I'm dealing with a lot too, which is on a very different scale than what you're dealing with. But just thinking of how much I should try to reinvent myself as the filmmaker that can make things at home by themselves, or that's more post-reliant, or that can make awesome things with a five to 10 person crew. And then I'm going to spend a month convincing people that I'm the person to hire for this. And then the quarantine will be over and everyone will be like, yeah, we no longer
1: need that person. Yeah. Yeah. The Um, commercial I just shot was like probably the biggest team I've had in a year. And I felt like, oh, this is the first step in leveling up on a significant mm -hmm. level on these commercials. It felt great, you know, and it was probably the last day we were allowed to shoot before Mm -hmm. everything went to shit. And the thought of pitching on the ability to execute with a small team like, yeah, I could definitely do that. And there's something really fun about that. But also it just feels like such a step backwards that it would be hard to come away from it. And we like worked
3: really hard to be able to.
1: To not have to carry
0: C-stands. To C not, stands <laughs> to do not clean
3: toilets and make yeah. sandwiches. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. You
3: know? I mean, I, I really do think it's potentially the most exciting time ever for new filmmakers.
0: Tell us why you think that.
3: Well, because there's going to be a giant gap in content where filmmakers who are just starting out are truly the most nimble and can design things to be small and flexible and safe. And people are so hungry for content right now. hate why do i keep saying the word content i kind of want to like
1: it's a problem we
0: all have don't worry about it they they
1: they um, won that's why
3: (laughs) oh god i guess they did but people are hungry for stories and there's going to be a really strange weird gap where not a lot of new stories are coming out we're so spoiled by the bounty of Mm -hmm. this storytelling era and so i think there's going to be some silence and some chances for new voices to really pop
0: but you've made a tiny indie films that literally lost their budget like the week before they started shooting yeah. and now gigantic studio films and big action set piece TV shows. Do you really think that someone that's small and nimble and is making a small story that someone like Amazon or Hulu or
3: yeah Netflix or
0: HBO is going to be I like, do. oh, we'll take that 10 person crew person?
3: I think they'll buy it. With no see-
0: names and no... Yeah. production value
3: that's why i think it's actually really exciting i mean when you say no production value like there has to be something good about it <laughs> I mean, if it's Not it's yeah, good. no one's bu- buying garbage
1: but, but yeah right. but i
3: think networks are going to be so ready to buy up good stuff so it does feel like a huge moment for new voices to break through i feel sort of excited to see what type of storytelling will come of this moment so, yeah you know, i have a hard question for you if you could wave a magic wand and put the world back exactly the way it was before this pandemic, would you?
0: My gut reaction is yes, I would. Because think of the things that are dying off, like handshakes, like being close to people, living in fear of using the same doorknob. Like I was always mildly annoyed by germaphobes, and now it's like they won. <laughs> They
3: become the gold standard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, in terms of our experience being with our families or with ourselves or with whatever, I think it's really interesting. But to me, the cost is bigger than the reward.
3: I felt this at the beginning, and sometimes I waver, but I think I still feel it now. Who knows how I'll feel about it tomorrow. But obviously, if I could wave a magic wand and take away people's suffering not being able to see their families in the hospital and their loved ones if they pass away. I would obviously want that to happen. I guess that at the same time, I feel like our world was sort of reaching a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing that was getting us to stop and acknowledge that. And we haven't quite done that yet in this, but it feels to me like there's still the potential for us to really reassess what we value what's important and how we can live together sustainably with each other and Mm -hmm. on this planet. And I think I was so truly deeply depressed about climate change for so long that weirdly this is the first moment that I've had a little ray of hope that maybe this little pandemic-y poo might be the thing that shows us we can take collective action Mm -hmm. and we can work together as a whole globe and we can change things or we could just descend into like martial law and chaos and kill each other but whichever way it goes sure it's exciting to be alive
0: (laughs) thanks so
1: much for talking to us good to see you matt pollock and tim wilkheim are talented comedy directors you've heard them on the show plenty of times before they directed things like adam ruins everything the james corden show and hot date we decided to interview them together because they both have challenged themselves to make comedy shorts during this quarantine. What a pair of quarantinos.
0: Okay, we are here with very talented directors, and you both made shorts during this quarantine.
1: Quarantinis, I think, is uh, what, you
0: guys, what yeah. you guys are calling them Now, that. why were those not features? Why are you guys so lazy?
4: <laughs>
5: yeah, good question. Tim, you want to start?
4: Well, it was your challenge, so I just followed by your rules of the challenge, which was to that's, make a short.
5: That's fair. So, so yeah, I guess I'll talk about the birth real quick of how this came about. My buddy Marco, who's another director, he made a short with some friends of his through social distancing. So he wrote a script, sent it out to his friends, they shot their sides of it on their own and then sent him the footage, he edited it together. I thought that was awesome so i asked him okay man can i make this a challenge and post it out to you know directing buddies and see what we can make and he's like yeah let's go for it so i sent it out as a challenge i included everyone here and probably a bunch of other people you're interviewing a bunch of people listen as well and said hey let's make some shorts now obviously we're in a weird situation where if you're dealing with your own struggles or honestly just depressed, then that's fine. You don't have to make anything. I mean,
0: it's just a little public shaming. It's not a big deal.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So my short was more just sketches streamed together. Tim made more of an authentic short that I feel like people would actually make even outside of this situation but yeah just make a short and and have fun with it because we love to create and even though we don't have crews and and casts the size we're used to doesn't mean we can't continue to create so that's kind of the birth of it use hashtag quarantini hashtag filmdemic and have fun with it make whatever you want to make
1: cool thank you for the permission (laughs) So awesome that you guys did that. I think, Matt, you were referring before to a lot of people have had a struggle just kind of staying creative or staying motivated or even giving yourself permission to not worry about being motivated. And so did you find it therapeutic? Was it helpful? Did it feel good to make stuff? Where do you land now that you've both managed to make something with the kind of constraints of using the gear and the people that you had at your disposal?
4: Uh, Yeah, I was wanting to make something during this, you know, kind of just being trapped up at home and just like wanting to still feel creative. The urge was there. And then I I think Matt's kind of pushed you off the edge with that kind of challenge. It was honestly very nice to be given that motivation to actually follow through with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think everyone was like, ah, what if I made a short, it could be cool. Right. You know. I,
4: yeah, I think a part of me is like, I don't want to make anything. It's not going to like live up to the standards of a regular short that you you would make. But I think within the the guidelines, just the challenge itself. It's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? No one's going to be like, oh, I'm never going to be interested in anything to mix again. So what I
0: thought was really interesting about your shorts, they're very self-aware, mm-hmm. and I think Matt Pollock's were very specifically about how we were surviving the quarantine, and Tim, yours was also about that. But you. Did include what I would call coronavirus Easter eggs, (laughs) quarantine Easter eggs, (laughs) like the famous panning
1: shot. I do love that shot.
0: Everyone
4: talks about that shot. Yeah. yeah, It was
1: just. uh... So just for, for people who haven't seen it yet, Tim and his wife play the two characters. But so obviously most of the time one person is behind the camera operating or they set it up on a tripod. But there is a shot basically where both characters walk around a corner, then the camera pans and catches up with both of the other characters, and there's a few hidden cuts, basically, to make it work. There's some VFX trickery to make what would otherwise be a really easy shot to get if there was any other person in the room.
5: I will say the first time I watched it, it was smooth enough that I didn't think anything of it. Oh, yeah, it totally And then I went you. back yeah. and went, wait a minute. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. And then I rewatched it, and I was like, okay, there could be a cut there. You have to know what's going on in order to know that it was cut up, and done in post. Like, you did a great right. job with it. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's super
1: you. good. Yeah. Also, it's late enough into the film that you've stopped thinking about how someone makes this thing, and you're just like, right. is Tim right, going right. to get this puzzle piece back or not? Exactly. To me, that was like a wink to the camera.
5: I will say, Tim took one route with it, which was he made it himself, him and his wife, he acted in it so you know tim and i have spoken about this actually where he was able to control it and shoot it how he wanted to shoot it with his camera he had at home whereas i went the opposite route i was like i'm not going to act in my own thing i'm just going to send it out to my friends who are all really good talented comedic actors but they don't necessarily have the film knowledge i have so what Mm -hmm. i did was i took storyboards of what i wanted and then sent everything to them and some of them like you drew them or you took pictures of yourself yeah, I took pictures Doing of myself it. and they got all the blocking right, but it was just little things of like pulling them away from the wall to give more mm-hmm. depth and not having so much backlight when you don't have something given for yeah. fill. So, certain small things that we all we, behind camera would say, let's adjust this, or having a DP would be like, let's do this. You know, that's all in the actor's hand. So, for me, I was excited to see it come to life and performed well. Though it doesn't look as good as I wanted. And that's the hardest struggle for me, but something that takes time to get used to and you deal with it and go, okay, it's fine. It's still funny and it's still a good story. And we all know what we're dealing with. So we'll still have fun with it. Yeah. That, but, and the
0: learning lesson is you only cast cinematographers from now on. <laughs> I for mean, all your future shorts. there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can I give one last compliment to yeah. Tim? I'm sorry. I think my favorite line in your short. Is just like the fuck yous to the puzzle pieces.
4: Madeline's parents didn't appreciate that. And they were just like, <laughs> it's too much cursing.
0: I just thought that in one line, like this perfectly weird, unique, but also like funny, but also
1: relatable thing. Yeah, so like, just, oh, we're all going a tiny bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, we're swearing at our puzzles. Right.
4: I mean, that's literally like what our lives were like at that time. And it was cabin fever. We were just making puzzles and. Just getting very neurotic of like finishing the puzzle exactly the correct way. And we would curse at the puzzle if we we were angry or we would curse at the puzzle if we were happy. So it's just like, let's just work that into exactly what we ended up making.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a unique skill of yours is to find those weird nuggets in life and put them on camera.
4: Pollock, I was curious, were you directing them live when you were shooting it or did you direct them more in rehearsing it or what was that like?
5: well we did three parts to ours only one of them was written by me the other one was written by Dave so him and his wife acted in it so I didn't give any notes they did about three takes each but they knew how it it was written so they knew how to perform it and then Joe and Ash similar to them I will say though I've made a couple things since then where I've done more live directing where it's been like Mm -hmm. I'm on a Zoom talking and watching them and listening while they perform and then they send me the footage afterwards so I've done it kind of both ways I found the first way to be exciting but kind of hard at times because like oh I just wish we had this like there's a couple blocking things we didn't have and stuff like that where I would have been able to get it a little bit
1: better walk us through the logistics of it a little bit actually.
0: yeah and for yeah. people that haven't seen matt's stuff which you should check it out it's on
5: instagram yeah matt directs it's on the at I, matt
0: directs IGTV. on instagram
5: yeah it's called day one a series the first one there's going to be another one coming out next week right but yeah but just to
0: give our listeners the background on what it is is it's three different yeah. stories from quarantine comedic stories and even though matt directed them and edited them and produced them he was not actually on set to shoot
1: them. So I'm curious, could you see the framing?
5: So the way, the first time, the one that we were just talking about, we did it. We wrote up our scripts. We were set on what we were making. And then I said, cool, Dave and Corey, here are your shots this shot of Dave on the couch in a wide, get a nice medium of him, get this shot of the laptop, Corey, get these shots. And they went and did that. And same thing with Steve Maria and Joe and Ash. Mm -hmm. I wasn't watching live or anything like that. I just said, here, go at it. What I and were got,
0: they using just the iPhone so, yeah, they like, were using, video or were they using like Filmic exactly. Pro? Like were you caring about frame rates or audio, no, any for, of those technical for things? For
5: that one, I just said just shoot it on your iPhone, shoot everything, landscape and go at it. And, and that's the part where I had to get, you know, over the hump of it doesn't look as good as I'm used to and I just got to deal with it because... Previously, I had shot a short that I'm still editing that I shot on my iPhone using Filmic Pro and doing it all that way. And that I'm sitting on and hopefully going to do the film festival circuit. Whereas this, it was just shoot it however you can with your own phones. And they, you know, one actor would shoot the other actor. It was couples that are both actors living, who live together. They're all married. So one of them would shoot the other. They would do their lines. Then they would flip around, do the other person's line. And then I would get three takes per person sent to me and then I would cut it up. Since then, I've done another short where I set up a, a Zoom and I set, you know, it's in the living room, so put me over here. They'll take a photo of what they're going to, and then either text it to me or show it to me over the, the, mm-hmm. the laptop and go, cool, that's the right shot, do that. And then I could listen and actually direct them. It's a lot more involved and a lot more tedious, but you have a little more control, which is also nice.
0: Well, have you considered the that- Wilkheim version of just being in it
5: yeah i have something that i'm i am writing right now it's different from tim's but it's also similar cuz it's still kind of like the story of someone going kind of crazy so i'm going to make that hopefully in the next week or
1: so tim i'm curious what camera did you shoot on for your short oh hunt?
4: we shot it on our fuji dslr which i think is it's a x100f
1: Gotcha. So just like so, the camera you had around basically. Yeah. Great. Yeah.
4: yeah. But I, you know, I, I'm shooting another one tonight and I think I'm actually going to go back to my 70 for that one. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it's all, this one all takes place at night and I'm using, have you guys used the magic lantern firmware hack for the seventies?
1: I did years ago yeah, and yeah. really hated it actually.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to make do with what I already have. So I might... Regret it in a week, <laughs> and, and recommend just shooting it on w- whatever the Kodak is that your 70 shoots normally. Yeah. yeah,
1: I heard from a DP friend of mine that she was thinking of renting an Alexa to shoot something with, and they were like, $10 "She was like, good. I've got like, oh, I've got three hundred bucks. Is that okay?" And they're like, "Literally, whatever you want to give us is
0: fine." I'll take anything.
1: Yeah. Do you guys know who David F. Sandberg
0: is? He directed I, Shazam.
4: Oh, yeah, He yeah, did yeah, that yeah, shadowed yeah. short. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a quarantini. Incredible.
0: Yeah. And he shoots everything on the Blackmagic pocket cam or something.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he I, also has like lights and... From Ikea. Is that what he used? Lights from Ikea?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a lot wow. of cheap gear. If you watch those BTSs, you're like, oh, man.
4: Mm-hmm. I will say yeah. if you're
5: shooting on your phone on an iPhone, it's great. I've done it. The problem is there's so much noise. Like the short I did before all this went down... The reason why I, I'm not done with these because I need to get it graded professionally because there's just so much noise that you either have to shoot during the day and just all daylight pump it in or it's going to be the noisiest footage you've ever seen.
1: I think part of what's so charming about your films, though, is that we are aware of the circumstances. That you're making them under tim we were joking about that shot being so incredible if there was another person in the room we wouldn't think twice about it you know uh, yeah, but because true. you're using that creativity but i think that also that means that matt when you were saying you were frustrated about like some of the footage not looking the way it normally does for you no one minds frankly i think it kind of enhances it you know there's right. a charm to it yeah. because of the circumstances and it makes it even more relatable more More relatable and more impressive in a sense. You know, it's like, oh man, you guys did it. Not only did you get out of bed, but you made something. Yeah, I want to ask you guys real quick. Do you think that
0: making these shorts in some way is going to help your career?
1: Yeah. Um... Has it been helpful in any way?
5: I think what's been helpful is that I, I'll try to be quick with this, but in the past I've done a lot of commercials lately and I know that commercial work is fruitful in terms of money and in terms of what you could physically see with your career. But a lot of times it's not as creatively fulfilling. So I was hitting kind of a a wall with that. And since I've started making stuff just for fun by myself, I've been more fulfilled. In the last two or three weeks, I've felt so much more energy and excitement to be making things than I felt in the last year. So for me, I don't know if I'm going to make something and I'm going to get a call from Mm -hmm. Sony Pictures and they're going to be like, direct our feature. But at the very least, it's giving me some motivation and building a little momentum.
4: Yeah, I, I would agree. Just making it is a very creatively freeing thing to do, especially when it's just like, oh, me and my wife and our dog made this in our home. And so, like, that's
1: cute dog, just, by the way. Tim.
4: Thank you. <laughs> so, I, I think we like just sending it to our family and getting their reaction was kind of rewarding enough in itself. But I will say that no jobs have come out of it yet, but there's been like two possible opportunities where companies were looking for people that can produce things from home. And this is kind of like a way to prove I can make something that looks decent in my home, if you're willing to put up with me and my wife performing in it.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I think the other thing is because we're in this time kind of similar to the writer's strike in 2008, where just a lot of Hollywood people were sitting at home watching stuff. This is a time where you could kind of connect maybe with agents or managers. I know a lot of agencies are just watching all the quarantine shorts. So it's not necessarily come direct my next big blockbuster, but it's like, Oh, that guy made a cool thing. That girl (laughs) made a cool, Tiger King. We're all watching it. Yeah. We're all done with Tiger (laughs) King. And now there's some other cool people to just learn about in this time. And it's probably not a bad time to put stuff out into the world
1: that shows off your personality. They also need to look busy because they're still getting paid (laughs) and have to do some version of their job, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay, awesome. Awesome. And obviously, they've both been on the podcast multiple times before. Very much worth listening to. Matt actually pioneered the idea of taking your name and what you do (laughs) and making a URL out of it, which I copied, directed by Oren, and then everyone else that listens to our podcast copied, too. Yeah, Yeah, and it all came from Matt Pollock. Well done. (laughs) Thanks, guys. We hope you are safe and healthy. Likewise. And we'll talk to you guys later. Likewise. Stay safe. Thanks, guys. They say timing is the key to comedy, but TV drama director Lily Marie just finished her edit of episode 19 of Fox's Prodigal Son when Hollywood was totally shut down. So her timing was perfect, which means that for her, this quarantine is a rare break. She gets to refocus and spend some time with her musician husband. Okay, so Lily Marie back on the podcast. Welcome back.
6: Thanks for having me.
0: Were you shooting when this whole thing started?
6: Well, I was in New York shooting an episode which... Was the penultimate episode of Prodigal Son of this season, the next to the last one, mm. where you know all the exciting mm-hmm. stuff supposed to happen, and then right. the best Game they... of throne episodes right. usually are the right. penultimate exactly. one, yeah. exactly. And then they wrap it up in the last episode. So my episode was supposed to be episode twenty-one, but it got bumped up to episode nineteen because they shot out of order. Thank goodness they had no idea this was going to mm-hmm. happen, but they shot. 21 and 22, and then they shot 18, 19, and 20. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't get to 19 and 20. They only got 21, 22, and 18, so they bumped us all up, and we're airing next week. Oh, great. So I finished my episode. You know, we were in the bubble of filming, so Mm -hmm. we didn't hear anything about COVID-19. We had no idea what was going on.
0: And how many days is an episode
6: I think normally it's like 8 or maybe 9 but because it was the penultimate episode we got 10.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh wow. And you got through all 10 of them.
6: I got through all 10 of them. It was like end of February. And then I came home on the airplane and I sat next to Sarah Goldberg who's one of the stars of Barry. Oh, uh, yeah, she sure. yeah, she's, she's great. amazing. She's I know. Really yeah. And so it's so funny cuz when I sat next to her I thought I'm not I know her. Do, did I <laughs> yeah, did yeah. I direct her in something? And then, you know, we smiled at each other. And then I was like, oh, I know how I know her. And yeah, then yeah. I thought, okay, I can't say something at the beginning of the flight. Because then <laughs> she'll know that I know for the next sure. five and a half hours who she is. But then I can't say something at the end of the flight. Because then how creepy is that that I knew the whole but, time? Hold, hold, and I didn't time say anything.
1: L- Lily, <laughs> this is so crazy Lily, because you are also so someone bonker. that people think this about. <laughs> Yeah, not only have you been on TV for a ton of awesome episodes of one of the biggest shows of all time, but also you are a director who could hire her. She wants yeah. you to say hello. Like, you're the only person on that so. plane that's like, oh, yeah. Imagine you hit it off with Lily Maria. You end up on a TV show afterwards.
6: I guess I could have said something to her at the beginning. But if I was in that
0: situation, um, I would just ask if they could change my seat. I'd be so uncomfortable.
6: <laughs> this woman yeah. next to me just told me she recognized me, and now yeah. I can't sit
0: No, here. I'd be like, this person next to me is famous, and I'm a fan, and I don't think I'm going to be able to go through this flight without being weird. <laughs> Can you please put me somewhere else? So, Lily, so you get back to L.A., so and now you to need LA. to do your director's cut, right?
6: Well, yeah, so I have to edit. So, like, four days later, it was, like, March 4th, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in and do my edit. And We were starting to hear that there was this virus and people were getting sick. And so all of us were fist bumping or elbow bumping. Mm-hmm. We didn't wear masks or anything. We didn't hug, we weren't touching. I did hug one writer, but he and I didn't get it. But it didn't feel weird. Just felt sort of like, oh, I wonder what's gonna happen. And I finished on March 10th.
1: You're still in the bubble, right? Like if you're not right. on Twitter all the time, it's right. still early enough. It, it, it would, cause I was on set as well. Like. You know, And I was like, hey, like only elbow bump. But people didn't right. get it yet. Right. I had a shoot on March 5th. I told the AD, let's do a no
0: handshake set. And they thought I was joking.
6: Wow, well, <laughs> yeah. you were right. So, um, ha ha. Yeah,
0: yeah, jokes on all of it. They all have coronavirus.
6: <laughs> so then I finished everything. And then that Friday, my husband is pretty famous a jazz musician. Boney James, I think I told you guys before. Mm-hmm. And so he does these things that are like jazz cruises where he and a bunch of jazz artists go and they get on a cruise ship and they do like a week where they have shows every night and all Mm -hmm. the fans are there.
0: Like a legit cruise ship, like the kind where everyone gets sick if one person gets sick.
6: Yeah, like one of those.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so
6: that Friday the 13th, he was flying to Miami to get on a cruise ship and while they were flying over, they got word that the cruise got canceled. So luckily his tour manager was on the plane with them and he managed to book a flight an hour and a half after they left. And Mm -hmm. so they had to get off, get their bags, recheck in, get back on a plane. So he was on a plane for like 11 and a half hours to come home. But at least he came home and so neither of us got sick. But now we're here and I had a meeting on Zoom for a pilot.
0: Is the schedule for pilots, I mean, obviously, it's been derailed quite a bit. Yeah. Is the fact that you're just meeting now on a pilot different than a a different year? uh,
6: This is a Netflix pilot, so 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 they don't have a schedule. They're just making things when they want to or when they can. Right. So I'm not sure what's happening with that. That's months down the road Mm -hmm. and then i was supposed to direct an episode of fear the walking dead which i was Mm -hmm. super excited about and that's been indefinitely postponed
1: Mm -hmm.
6: yeah so my agents are saying that for now they're not booking directors Mm -hmm. because they don't know when production is going to go back right and that it's really writers who are doing pitches and
1: yeah i've heard of some shows doing virtual writers rooms just to kind of get scripts Mm -hmm. ready so that when we have the all clear we're shooting and I think they're probably writing with smaller sets and smaller background and all of that in mind it's so hard to predict what the circumstances are going to be when we go back to work you know Right. but it it feels like if I was writing a sitcom I'd hedge my bets and write a lot of two-person scenes you know (laughs) (laughs) right well I kind
0: of wanted to ask you a totally unrelated question, but only because you brought it up about pitching on a pilot over Zoom. What are the main things that you think of when you're pitching on a pilot?
6: Well, I made a lookbook and Mm -hmm. I've made several lookbooks over the years, but this one in particular, my friend Steven Rogers, who wrote I, Mm. sent me a lookbook. It's also Captain
1: America, Steven Rogers.
6: (laughs) Totally unrelated. <laughs> person. Oh. He sent me a lookbook for a movie that that he and his production team are getting ready to make. Because I told him I was making a lookbook, and he said, "Oh, wait, I have to send you this lookbook." So I looked at it, and it was fifty-three pages long for mm-hmm. a feature, and I was like, "Okay, I'm not making a fifty-three page lookbook." And all the elements were the same of all the other lookbooks I've made. You want to tell them. What is the tone, you know? And and so that's kind of how I always make my lookbooks. I start with the director's statement of how this relates to me personally and what my take on this material is. And then I just start in on casting and color palettes and the tone of the piece. And then any films that I would use as reference for either look or tone or whatever, and then production design, sets, and wardrobe. I'll talk about framing in terms of when I make a reference to a film, if I like the way they shot, if a lot of stuff was off camera, or if there were big static shots, or if everything is moving, if there's lots of handheld stuff, or cam stuff, or do I want to shoot big, wide, high shots, like basic stuff? Mm-hmm. but i don't want to get into it too technically because it's confusing to them yeah we yeah. talk too much they don't want
1: to be talked over either you know like they don't want right. to like to feel talked down to i mean you know
6: exactly
0: yeah exactly. or just and too bored
1: by the technical yeah. details. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i don't and that's, i don't want yeah. to seem
6: too wonky about it you know what i mean i'm just yeah. trying to tell them what it's going to look like yeah
1: yeah they just want to know it's going to look cool
0: Basically. Yeah. <laughs> or I mean like with that JK Simmons show where he plays two characters, right? I think there are shows where how you're going to pull that off and get these good performances and right. set up an environment where he's going to thrive are important maybe, right? In the pilot. Right.
6: And that's kind of what this pilot was this pilot was kind of a a Rashomon sort of pilot. And so what I did was I made references to four different films.
1: Oh cool. That's right? cool. That's cool. Yeah.
6: Because it's four different people. Yeah. Everybody's take on what was happening in the room Mm -hmm. looks a little different. It's like when the police interview witnesses. Mm -hmm. The guy came in and he had on a hat. No, he didn't. He was short. He was fat. He was tall. The room was cold. No, it wasn't. It was boiling. Everybody is in the same room and they all see something different.
0: Yeah. That's like watching politics in America.
6: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So how do you translate that to a film that one person's looking at? And you translate that by film style, by color palettes, by either camera movement. And so that's what I was trying to convey.
0: Do you agonize about the cover page image?
6: Yes. (laughs) I usually put it it's on, hard and then yes, I yeah. and then I keep going, and then I go back and I go, mm, that's not right, and I put something else in, and then I'll go and then I'll keep working, and then I'll close it up, and then I'll look at it the next day, and I do agonize about it because it's the first thing they see, you know? Yeah. Because I think for a lot of them, they think, oh, that's what it's gonna look like.
1: Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: I pitched on this Budweiser commercial once, and I found the perfect, most perfect cover image ever. And I put it, laid it out. Everything kind of stemmed from that. I used like the colors from it and everything. And I made this, what I thought was like a pretty awesome treatment. And the whole job ended up going away, but I was friends with the people at the production company and they said, Oh, by the way, you know, Tim used the same cover. image." You used. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh man.
1: I thought you were going to say you're pitching against the guy who shot that commercial.
0: Oh, that's happened to me also. But that's the thing when you're pitching, you know, especially with a new pilot, right? Part of what Mm -hmm. they're looking to you for is to define the show, right? what it looks like, what it feels like. And if you put an image from the Americans or from Rashomon Mm -hmm. or from something, they're like, oh, so why don't we just hire the person (laughs) that did that, right? Yeah. So you have to show
1: that it's a mix of these things. You're like, you can hire Kurosawa if you want. Good luck. (laughs) Go yeah. for it, guys. I, I can't blame you if you could pull it, it off. Yeah. I'm just
0: saying it's hard to use one image to show <laughs> right. how you're mixing and matching these various right. things. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Which Unless, is why
6: I yeah. did not use a shot from a film. <laughs> oh really? Or a television show. As I'm collecting images for my lookbook, this was just an image that I found that was not related to any film. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. a cool image. So that's what I used. Yeah, And then the one thing I did on this, which I hadn't done before, which I hope they were kind of impressed by, was I added a, an iTunes list of songs. Oh,
1: that's cool. That's fun.
6: Yeah. And, uh, and then I put the actual playlist in if they didn't want to click through to the thing. <laughs> yeah. But then we, I just talked about sound, which I realized I didn't do in any of my other lookbooks, but, you know, sound is 50% of your picture. So I thought, I, I need to address this.
0: And um, now you know all these out-of-work jazz musicians, jazz yes. greats. <laughs> Ex-Cruise ship jazz musicians.
6: That's right. They can all record in their home studios and mail it to me. And then I talked a lot about sound, which I think was an unexpected thing for them. They were like, oh. Mm-hmm. That's cool, yeah. And I think for this particular project, sound was really important, and I wanted it to have a real indie feel. I didn't mm-hmm. want it to be overscored like a network show sometimes where the music is telling you how you're supposed to feel before the next commercial break Mm -hmm. and I didn't want that, you know in the same way that you see four different people's perspectives, I wanted the viewer to come up with his or her own take on what's happening in this room and if I overscore that scene Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you're supposed to feel like this I didn't want to do that, so I wanted very selectively either needle drops of, like, songs, so I found a bunch of indie groups and alternative music, which I think would add a real level of coolness. Mm-hmm. I kept saying cool. <laughs> it's going to be cool, but it, it would, if and and also an opportunity for indie groups and alternative groups to have their music, you know, exposed so to a wider... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
6: Yeah. So that's what I did.
0: Well, cool. So now do you have any advice for kind of newer filmmakers that are here in the quarantine trying to figure (laughs) out what to do and what's next?
6: Well, I think the first thing I thought was, oh, good. You know, I had planned in this month and a half to finish a first draft of of a feature that I want to shoot. And as we started this whole sequestering, you know, there was a huge adjustment period that i didn't think about you know where Mm -hmm. i was just trying to adjust to the new reality of i'm not just home between gigs i'm actually on the internet trying to get toilet paper dealing (laughs) dealing with news and what's happening to you know our country so it was a bit of an emotional adjustment i started to dive into my script and I got two and a half pages in and they're pretty good two and a half pages but you know i I was not as productive as i had expected myself to be Mm -hmm. before it was an imposed quarantine as opposed to my time off between gigs
1: yeah the, the difference between what i am doing if i just was in between things And what we're doing because of a quarantine is not that different. Right. But the mental game is so significant just in terms of the anxiety levels of being able to be creative. You know, like. Exactly. I think that's why people are cooking so much because it is fulfilling. um, (laughs) But, you know, like it's nice to have a distraction. You got to eat. And it takes a level of concentration that is distracting but not so intense. Right. It's not the same as screenwriting. You know what I mean?
6: Exactly. Yeah. And the thing with cooking is it's creative. Yeah. And once you're done, it's there. Look, mm-hmm. I made this. Yeah. You know, what that Sondheim song. Look, I made a hat where there never was a hat. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, your kitchen was empty and suddenly you have a lasagna. But it's not like, okay, I made a lasagna. But I have to remake it about 15 more times before we can eat (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, and are people going to really like lasagna? Are they going to have an (laughs) appetite for lasagna once we're all done with this? We've seen a lot of lasagna pitches. Can we do a...
0: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Alaska? Yeah.
6: So, yes, you're right, Matt, that, you know, there's an element of I'm creating something and here it is and we don't have to rewrite it. We don't have to keep thinking about it. And so I took some time off. I gave myself permission. Now I've got the pandemic and my script hanging over my head right and I thought you know what I'm just gonna put it aside and allow myself to readjust and then when I'm ready which I think I'm about getting ready to do now I'll pick it back up and start working on it and you know I don't like hearing people say okay well you've got this time now you should be making a script or a film or you know, you should be productive. And it's like, you know, you do as much as you can. And once this is over in a year or so, when we're almost back to normal, you'll still have time to write mm-hmm. that great screenplay or make your great film. Or you even know, your I
0: amazing mean, lasagna.
6: Or even your amazing <laughs> lasagna. I know. So, so that's it. Just try and write the script. And because people are writing, uh, television shows. I don't think production has stopped, really, because I have some friends who are writing on television series. You know, just trying to keep an eye on what I want to do next. And I think the other good thing that may come out of this, hopefully not just for me, but for all of us, is that it's helping me prioritize what's important and what I really Mm want to do and what's important to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much for talking to us. And congrats on finishing the penultimate episode of Prodigal Son. Thank
6: you. So that airs on the 20th. And then I directed Council of Dads back in December. And that airs April 30th. Cool. Okay. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Well, that was some insight. Do you feel like you learned anything from these
1: directors, Matt, like in terms of what you should be doing right now? I'll tell you what, it was a very emotional roller coaster for me. I was joking before, but I felt every different note of inspiration all the way to like true despair, <laughs> depending on where I was and you know who we were talking to and all of that stuff. So, I think that the big takeaway is like just let yourself feel it all like some days you're going to feel like you don't want to get out of bed and it's worth it to push through that a little bit. And some days you just need to watch some movies. And some days you're going to be really inspired and thinking towards the future and, you know, trying to figure out what those next steps are. And some days you're going to be beating yourself up over not being able to anticipate what the future is going to hold. All that stuff is is part of this. And I think that, you know, Roxy's point about self-care and Carlin's point about self-care and Lily even giving herself permission to not think about things. I think those are all really important worthwhile tactics towards dealing with something that is pretty hard to wrap your head around and as a person who has spent his life using work to distract himself from emotions i think that this is something where you have to be willing to to think through and process and feel all of the feelings because i think that this is a unique and generation-defining experience that we're all having so like don't deprive yourself of that right well in the time
0: that you were summarizing your reaction i wrote three quarantinis <laughs> started developing a feature and taught my daughter klingon for a mm-hmm. episodic mm-hmm. show on pitching
1: you know legally i think um that is child abuse <laughs> not according to the klingon culture well if
0: you are doing anything interesting during quarantine or if you're doing nothing interesting please let us know email us at just shoot a pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, if you have any feedback about having multiple short interviews from different directors on a topic, if that is something that you want to see us do more of, please let us know. You can tweet at us at Just Shoot It Pod. You can send us messages on Instagram or at Just Shoot It Pod.
1: I am at O. Kaplan. And I'm at Mr. Maddenlow. And, and also, you know what? Do us a favor. Tweet to our guests. Let them know that you liked what they had to say. Because they took time out of their day and really shared a lot of themselves. And so letting them know that you were interested in what they had to say, I think, would be pretty uh, special in this strange and uncertain time. For sure. I'm at Mr. Maddenlow across all social media. Uh, You can check out everything that we talked about at JustShootItPod.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 262-SHOOT1 if you want to check in with us. Let us know how things are going. Maybe Glenn inspired you to share your own story. This episode was edited by us. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music
0: you're listening to is by the artist Jazar from the Free Music Archive. And additional music from Musicbed. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks, everyone. Stay
0: safe. Bye.